Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Life After GDPR podcast, where we discuss digital marketing in a post-GDPR world. I'm your host, Rick Dronkes, and in today's episode, I get to interview Melody Barlage, Product Manager Business Analytics at Payment Processor Adyen. Today's episode is a special collaboration with the DDMA, the Dutch Data-Driven Marketing Association, and their Digital Analytics Summit, which will take place on October 13th in Amsterdam. This event is fully dedicated to digital analytics and consists of three interesting tracks. You can geek out on the technical track with topics like server-side tag management, GA4 and BigQuery. Then there's the organization and culture track, which dives into the challenges of building a data team. And last but not least, there's a privacy track dedicated to the topic of data privacy. Speakers include today's guests, but also previous podcast guests like Sibol Hava and Steen Rasmussen. You can get your tickets at digitalanalyticsummit.nl and with the code LIFE AFTER GDPR in all caps, you can get a 20% discount. Now let's dive into today's episode with Melody from Agen. Melody, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. To start off, how would you introduce yourself and your role at Agen? Yeah, so I'm uh, Melody. Um, I work at Agen. I've been working there since uh, February this year, so I've only been around for half a year, uh, to be honest. At Agen, I am the product manager on the business intelligence team. The business intelligence team is sort of a central team within the organization, as business intelligence teams usually are. Uh, we manage our data visualization tool, Looker, and amongst like an enormous amount of data people at Agen, we try to sort of manage and oversee and see how we can bring people together to work on reporting. Would you say that you are a facilitator of other analysts? Would that would that be a good description? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are also a facilitator of uh, of end users, but uh, when it comes to Looker, uh, we are we have like many Looker developers, people who really develop data sources and data visualizations on that platform. Uh, but we also try to help out end users, obviously. So it's uh, a fairly broad group of stakeholders that we're trying to help. So for, for the people who don't know what Looker is, could you could you give a quick update on, on that? Yes, of course. So a Looker is a data visualization tool. So, I mean, there's plenty of data visualization tools in the market like uh, Tableau, uh, ClickView, Power BI. Every data visualization tool is a bit different, obviously, but this is the one we have chosen for our company. And I think it, I think it was acquired by Google a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. One of the interesting things about Looker, I think, is the the modeling part that they have integrated in the tool, where a lot of other visualization tools are only, yeah, really the visualization part, so to say. Looker has like this modeling layer on top. I guess that's also why it's interesting for for a company like Agen. And like you said, you have Looker developers, even like people who are basically dedicated to that. Could you give an estimation of like the, the how many people are working? On, on tasks like that, like how many people are working like dedicated on Looker? Oh, well, to say how many people are really working dedicated on Looker is perhaps a bit hard, but I would say we have around 200 Looker developers. So people who at least partially for the role work on indeed like model or explore development. And they obviously do that together with our team. I have to say that another reason that we chose Looker is because at Agen, we try to run as much as possible on-premise and open source and or open source. So <laughs> Looker is not open source, obviously, but it's one of the tools that we could run on-premise, which is not always the case. 
when it comes to functionality, indeed, being able to develop the models and the explores is very helpful. Also, when it comes to the permissions model uh, or the, the way that we manage our permissions, especially for people like account managers, we want to give access to their own accounts, but not necessarily to all accounts. Uh, Looker has a very good way of managing that because you provide access to data and you don't uh, provide access to sort of the visualizations, so to say. So you can see every visualization within Looker, but whether that visualization will actually load and show up, uh, that depends on the data you're allowed to see. Yeah, that's a really smart model, especially looking at it from the uh, from the privacy angle, like limiting uh, limiting what people have access to. Then it's you know you don't really care about the visualization; you care about the data. So it's a that's a it's a smart way of doing it. And is the the on-premise software is that also I could imagine it's from a, could also be from a performance angle, but this is also from a security slash compliance privacy angle. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Agen has been around for, uh, I think about 15 years or a little over 15 years. And when they got started uh, doing everything on-premise and having uh, customers data on-premise was really a unique selling point. Basically telling our customers like, hey, we, we don't like give it out to, to these cloud providers. Uh, we keep it to ourselves. And I have to say like a lot has changed, obviously, over the past 15 years. Like I would say that most of our merchants or customers, they are also just working in the cloud. They have all of their data in the cloud. So we'll have to see how this goes like over time <laughs> if we keep doing everything on premise. But indeed, originally it was to really safeguard the data of our customers. Yeah, you could argue that that as cloud providers become more secure, that unique selling point might diminish. And and like if like you said, if all your merchants are already running everything on AWS or or GCP, then the data has already been on the cloud, so it doesn't really matter if the payment data is or not. Exactly. But I could imagine from the Atian point of view, like you probably have a lot of. Um, things that you have to adhere to, like a lot of checks and balances that you have to go through with the type of data that you uh, that you use. So maybe on-premise gives a little bit of extra control or certainty of what happens to the data, where on cloud, you, you still kind of have to believe your cloud provider <laughs> on a lot of those things. Yeah, so it, it is still our preferred model. And again, I'm, I'm not really sure how it's going to work out like 10 years from now, because like having your own data centers is also, it's hard work, getting the hardware, getting the people to work on it. We'll have to see how it goes. But for now, that is our model, just doing as much as possible on-premise. I just thought we didn't say what Argen does. I think a lot of people know, but Argen is a huge payment processor from the Netherlands. <laughs> So that's uh, that's that's good to know for the context of this conversation. Perhaps also for context, we do more than just processing payments nowadays. We also have a we have a banking license in multiple regions. So we also do acquiring. Uh, we also do issuing. At this point in time, it's like B two B, but we can actually give out our own credit cards if we want to. We also help with platform merchants like eBay or Vinted, which is perhaps a bit more well-known here in the, in the European region, to make sure that the, the, the sub-merchants or the sellers that they onboard, that they are also like of good quality, so to say. From a data perspective, I don't think there are, there are probably not a lot of companies that process so much data from so many unique individuals, like payment processors, because you help so many large merchants, probably... You know, I don't know how many percent of, of citizens have had at least one transaction that went through Agem, but it's probably a, a high percentage for a lot of markets. 
So that's a lot of interesting data coming in. What do you notice? Like all that data is in, in essence at your fingertips. What do you uh, see within Agen from a privacy perspective? Like how is that handled? How is, the, how is that, that topic handled within the company? I mean, it's good to know that that data in essence is not ours. Like that data is of our merchants. So we are there to, to process it. We are there to keep it safe. Uh, and obviously we will use that data ourselves internally to improve our products, improve our processes, report back to regulatory institutions. But being more in the data processing business opposed to being, well, I mean, like if you own data, obviously it's also important, but because we process such massive amounts of sensitive data, obviously we do all that we can to make sure that there are no breaches. And if there were any case of a breach that all of the data is like hashed or tokenized, so that's hopefully still, there's not that much you could actually do with it. Yeah. And I, I guess, especially in, in your role, like basically facilitating other people to work with data, there's a lot of control or, or influence on how that process plays out throughout the company. So let, let's say I'm a, a product manager working on a product. I want to have data to see like the current, the current performance of a product and I want to optimize against something. You might help me to get that data in Looker somehow, or you, you, you might organize that. How would that be limited that I only get what I need in order to optimize, but I don't get, you know, somebody's uh, credit card details uh, in my in my dashboard. I mean, you would never really get the actual credit cards data in, in your dashboard. I think there's like a lot of layers of uh, sort of processing and security to make sure that those things don't actually happen. Like those credit cards data out of the, the databases where we need to store that information that is tokenized or that that is hashed. Within this field, we often work with payment references or like a, a payment has a reference and that's sort of the unique identifier. Uh, make sure that that is hashed. Make sure that, well, I don't even think that it would reach our big data platform. We use this uh, Hadoop uh, Spark framework where we store and process our data and query our data from. So when it is ingested, we make sure that only relevant data is ingested and like there would never really be a use case for data processing or reporting or analytics where you would need to have that type of data. So just to make sure that it doesn't hit our big data platform when we run ETLs over it, uh, a lot of data will be aggregated, uh, not per se only for uh, privacy or security, uh, but just by the sheer amount of data that we're processing on a daily basis. Like <laughs> it is no fun to, uh, to work uh, with our data on the transactional level, so to say. And then, well, there will be another layer of where it gets into Looker, where again, we will make sure that no sensitive data is entered or that uh, indeed that product manager uh, has the correct access level, for example, and that you, if you are working on, well, some sort of payments product that you don't have access to our HR data or uh, to our finance data, for example. So there's a lot of layers that uh, go over it, so to say, before that data actually hits that product manager. And at Agen, we find it very important that basically everybody is a security officer at Agen. And that's why throughout that whole process of data processing, everybody is always questioning, like, is this necessary? What do we do this for? And by asking these questions, well, we make sure that like <laughs> the right data um, gets the right person. I think that uh, what you just said, like, is this necessary? And what do we use this for? That question is so essential because... 
in a lot of companies or in a lot of cases, what you'll see is the natural proclivity will be hoarding as much data as possible, right? Like maybe we can get some more because it might be useful later on. But I think probably with a like probably with a company like Agen from right from the beginning, the company probably was aware of how valuable and potentially how impactful the data could be if it ended up in the wrong hands. So I, I, I could guess that even from the beginning of Agen, there would have been a mindset of, okay, we have really interesting data, but we need to take it really seriously because it, it can backfire on us. Whereas for a lot of other companies with marketing data, people didn't really have that feeling in the past. And now it's starting to starting to evolve a bit that people are realizing like, ah, okay, maybe we should take that more seriously. But then you're working backwards from how we've always done it this way and now we need to take it seriously. And I feel, I feel like if I hear you about agents, probably something that has been there from the beginning. Oh yeah, definitely. And as you can imagine for us, like marketing, online marketing, uh, Google Analytics, like the tracking on our website, it's frankly not as important as it would be to, for example, just an e-commerce company who needs all of that information uh, for online marketing campaigns, for example. So we started off with just having this super sensitive data. And as we are sort of adding more sources of perhaps less sensitive data, like online marketing data, was already pretty much uh, anonymized by Google that we still treated well in that, in that same regime, so to say. Like all our data is valuable. It's not equally sensitive but we have to treat it as such and make sure that uh, the right data gets to the right people. So related to that, I have a question because Adyen is really big in Europe, but I think you guys are really big worldwide by now. How do you handle data from different continents where in theory you could handle data differently, right? Like there's, there's different rules on what you can and cannot do with data in the US and in the EU, for example. Is that also built in your platform or how do you handle it? We have data centers also all around the world, which is also necessary because uh, payments need to happen fast, right? So processing a payment in, in the United States, you want to have a data center nearby so that it doesn't have to go all the way to Europe. We do obviously take into account what the local regulations are. We also have offices all around the world where we have local expertise so people indeed uh, know what they are doing are aware of the local situation and that varies really a lot from continent to continent like in some countries doing payment processing is actually like quite hard because uh, i think in india data is not even allowed to leave the country in some cases these are some very interesting edge cases where it becomes especially difficult to uh, to process data yeah, we will keep it into account. And I mean, we also have products which you could use more for commercial purposes. Uh, so tying uh, shopper data together from online and offline payments, for example. Well, in the Netherlands uh, or in the EU with GDPR, that would be, you cannot just like buy that product and go forth and use it, obviously, because people will need to give consent. But consent regulations are very different uh, in different regions, like in North America. They, they are not that strict in that sense. So as a company, obviously, we need, to, we need to see what's possible. We also need to challenge ourselves in terms of what we find ethically desirable. And we need to steward our, our merchants or our customers in, in proper data usage. It would be nice if we had like a, a uniform rollout across the world, right? And, and this, this, makes it, uh, this makes it a bit more challenging, especially 
like from your point of view, you are trying to enable a lot of people within the company to use data. And then one extra thing to keep in mind is for which country or region are they going to use that data? Because that will impact how they can actually use that data. Although, once again, like a lot of our data will be aggregated and even obviously within the European Union, just for analytical purposes, there's quite a lot uh, you can do. Also, we have to deal uh, with a lot of uh, fraud and chargeback uh, related data. So also, again, when it comes to these types of situations, like fraud and chargebacks are such of, of such massive impacts on the financial system that there's a lot more we can do with data uh, or with customer data or uh, sensitive data for fraud-related reasons than for commercial reasons, obviously. I mean, we're also obliged to report suspicious uh, transactions to the FIU, uh, the Netherlands, or also in, in other countries and regions, I can imagine. Yeah, we cannot tell the FIU like, oh, yeah, we saw a suspicious transaction. Can you tell us which transaction it was? No, I'm sorry. It's privacy protected. And obviously nobody's going to consent to having their data shared for fraudulent purposes. There you just have more, yeah, you're at more liberty to share, so to say, which makes sense. Like I was thinking about it, probably there's like a an order in which these things prevail. So if you have evidence of a crime let's put it right which which fraud obviously is then probably you are even obliged to store that data and provide that data to authorities so it would be an interesting use case to, to hear about like okay you get a you get a data deletion request from the user who committed fraud like that's a that's an interesting gdpr case to figure out for uh, for a privacy lawyer well pro probably it's already been done but yeah, no, I mean, I would be curious to see what, what type of data would actually be deleted because we are processing transactions. And I think if you put a transaction with a company, you also sort of uh, agree to them storing your data so that they can deal with the transaction. And then, I don't know, perhaps after X amount of years, uh, you would be allowed to request removal of that data. But yeah, we try when it comes to suspicious transactions, we try to handle a little bit sooner than X amount of years, obviously. Like if the transaction comes in, it's being flagged, an AML, anti-money laundering analyst will have a look at it. And then if so required, we will pass it on to, uh, to the authorities. And obviously it's, it's not only like on a transactional basis, right? So sometimes transactions only become interesting in context. So a 50K transaction, at the Albertine might be suspicious because who spends 50K at the Albertine in one go, right? But I don't know, it could be perhaps, uh, perhaps you're a restaurant or a big catering business. So I don't know, but if you're doing a 50K transaction at Chanel or another luxury store, perhaps not suspicious. And uh, perhaps you are always doing these transactions that are under the reporting threshold. But if you do that 20 times in a row, might also again be suspicious. So we also have to tie transactions together, put it in context, put it in a framework, and then decide on whether we want to report it, yes or no, or whether we feel we need to report it, obviously. I can imagine that's where um, where machine learning plays a large role uh, within the organization to identify those, those anomalies, basically. Yeah, and the graph technology uh, specifically. And what's that? Graph technology kind of maps out what the relationships are uh, between transactions or shoppers 
honestly, I'm, <laughs> I don't know all that much about machine learning and data science. So uh, let's not dive too deep into this. But I know this is indeed like a technology that we set up specific databases for to really tie things together, put them in, in context, so to say. And uh, sometimes context is also like a bit of a gut feeling, right? Just indeed that you see like, oh, like this transaction at this merchant, there's something off with this. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So uh, we also have like very highly skilled and trained people to do analysis on that. Yeah, that's good. That's the the great benefit of such a large company uh, and such a profitable company to also have uh, such a large amount of uh, really skilled colleagues, uh, I can imagine. Although I think compared to uh, to banks or at least Dutch banks, for as, as far as I know, like they, their AML departments <laughs> are actually much, much larger than ours. So I think we do a pretty good job at indeed uh, using the what we call uh, RecTech, regulatory technology, uh, help out with sending out these triggers in terms of what is suspicious and what is not. Maybe maybe uh, you benefit from the fact of being a being a relatively younger startup compared to the uh, to the old banks and uh, using technology to uh, to work for you. I think that Agen has always been a tech company first and a financial a financial institution uh, second, uh, which like historically it is that is the case. Obviously, we take the financial <laughs> services part seriously, but we're still like in essence we're so much a tech company that. Like I had to do a banker's oath because that's what you are legally obliged to do in the Netherlands. And I was just wearing my Nirvana band shirt and just <laughs> repeating the oath. And that's that's kind of the way that uh, that we do it. Like we want to uh, make beautiful technology and we just do it in the financial space. Well, it's, uh, it's a nice way to differentiate yourself from that space, I guess. So if we if we take it back, so what I heard you say is basically you take like a baseline approach to data, which is basically try to omit as much as possible that is not needed, thereby making the data set that people use almost by definition already, let's call it as, as privacy friendly as possible, right? So that basically by taking all the, all the things out that could be hurtful to, to, any, um, uh, to any people that use your service, by taking them out already, then people only use aggregated data. So you're not necessarily differentiating, let's say, if you're building a product for Europe, Europe or if you're analyzing for Europe or USA, you're basically using the same kind of data set as, as a, like a base layer. I guess that also makes sense from an from a efficiency point of view for, for your role. Like if you would have to do that on a per country basis, that makes things way more complex. So what, what other tools do you use to facilitate people in your organization? Like what are the things that you, like you've worked at other companies, right? You've worked at a large uh, e-commerce uh, or not even e-commerce, but retailer and e-commerce company in the Netherlands. So you, you have experience in the field and now you went to Adyen. Like, What are the interesting tools that you see right now that you think I would definitely take them to uh, to my next employer if that day comes? Oh, uh, besides our uh, <laughs> what I think of our data visualization uh, tooling, I would have to say that it also really depends on the, the amount of data that you are processing. Like at my previous company, we were quite okay just having like an uh, HP Vertica data warehouse. But I think that's the data that we were processing over there in a year. That's sort of the data that we're processing in Agen in, in one day, or perhaps like even, even more data than that. And that's why, I mean, to some extent, we are also kind of bound to the tools that we are using, like that we use the uh, Hadoop Spark framework because Hadoop just does an awesome job at storing massive amounts of data. 
and we worked with like such a brilliant team of enthusiastic technical people that's like every, every now and then I see these new technologies pop up like uh, Trino, which is sort of like a query on everything uh, type of engine, which will be our new connector between Spark and uh, Looker, data visualization tool. Uh, we're making use or increasingly making more use of uh, Druid, which is sort of a database type of product, uh, which allows for would have to say inflexible, but super rapid querying. Like you cannot really do joins or anything, but if it's just one table, like doesn't matter sort of how many rows it is. It allows for super fast querying. And that is again, connected to the reporting that we have in our customer area, for example, because merchants need to be able to query this very granular data very fast. I mean, if I were to move on to another company that is again, move like processing these massive amounts of data. You would take the people. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely take uh, take the people. But yeah, so I would really say like it's context driven to a company that's not processing these massive amounts of data. I wouldn't necessarily say like, oh, you would have to use everything that Ajin is using because it's basically, don't really know what the English expression would be. But uh, when we say in Dutch, like uh, you're firing a cannon uh, at a mosquito. It's overkill. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's an enormous overkill uh, to have all of that setup that we have, this whole big data platform and all of the things that we need for machine learning, for example, because a lot of our machine learning models are really like, real-time in production, and we need to be able to query them uh, in that split second that we're also processing that transaction. I think that for a lot of companies, if they already use machine learning in production, perhaps it's fine to just sort of let that model run once a day and just upload the data uh, so that you can do personalization or that kind of stuff. So it's really context-driven, I would have to say. Definitely. And I think, but I think uh, most of the things you just mentioned are like, let's call it the, the stack, right? So the, the, the software stack that it all runs upon, but maybe, maybe there are things like, like, cause what I can imagine is you have this immense amount of end users within the organization that you try to facilitate, right? So of course, Looker is a big part of that, right? And, and the abilities that Looker have, but maybe there are other tools or processes, like things that that you figured out in this role, facilitating so many end users of data where you think like, hey, that's, that's a really, really good way to either enhance data quality or enhance their ability to produce their end results. Eventually it kind of comes down to making sure that everybody can find the right data, like the data that they need to do their job and that they actually have access to the data they need to do their job and that that data is in good quality. So when they see that data, that they can trust that data. I think that as as we are growing, because in that sense, I mean, we're not like such a massive company. I think we're now approximately at like two and a half thousand employees that we are still sometimes, sometimes professionalizing that to some extent. So we're imposing more frameworks for data validity, making sure that within different tables, everything ends up uh, at the end. And also in within Looker, we're now looking into like, can we basically set up a, a set of rules to make sure that when things are put into production, that they actually make sense and that the labels that we are using, that they comply with what we have defined in our data dictionary for example, and that we have a data catalog so that people can have easy access to the things that are of value to them. And yeah, I'm seeing that we're still imposing more and more. So it's, it's kind of negative to say rules. So I would 
rather say like we're professionalizing it because if you would compare it to our development space where people are just putting things live on our platform, it's like so delicate, obviously, <laughs> we don't want transactions to fail that for them, it's very normal to sort of follow guidelines and do things in a way that, that they are sustainable. And when it comes to data, I think we're now employing that more and more and more to make sure that, yeah, we have consistent definitions everywhere and data is valid and data makes sense. And it's clear to users what they are using and what they should be using. We're making steps. And when it really comes to the big data platform, the ETL processes on, on big data platform, we're already a bit more ahead. I would say, because also more people are making use of it. And now we're also trying to professionalize that space when it comes to Looker and LookML. So that's um, Looker's development language. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, 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 partly. I was thinking about, like, you, you mentioned um, basically the process that the people who develop the live platform, right? So the transaction platform, like the, the process they have to go to to put things live. And I was thinking about, yeah, that's super mission critical, uh, which so it makes sense to have how many layers of, of, of checking your work before you, uh, before you deploy it. And I was thinking like, yeah, maybe for with data, we sort of have the benefit that as long as it's not being used for a live product, right? So if the data is feeding some live product, then maybe you would want to have it up to that same standard. But as, if it's feeding human analysis, then we could get away with a bit less process and maybe a bit more flexibility in our work. Like, I think it's a trade-off, right? Like, Yeah, no, definitely. But the thing is that the more people start working with data, and so I was already saying in the beginning, like we already have around 200 Looker developers. We're expecting to, to grow in staff over the coming years. So, and that's also a bit in our mindset that at Agen, like very much in the development mindset, it is embedded that we do things for 20x. So for 20 times the amount of whatever, so like 20 times the amount of merchants, 20 times the amount of volume, 20 times the amount of transactions. And uh, I really want to get to that space uh, with data as well. And okay, perhaps 20X <laughs> is a bit enthusiastic, but I really like to have these conversations and these sort of thought exercises in terms of like, how do we want to work together when we are at 20X, the amount of Looker developers? So if it's not 200 of them, but 4,000 of them, like, what are we going to do then? And obviously you want to have this, this flexibility where people can actually use the data that they need for their own analysis. And yes, they are free to do so, but also when it, especially when it comes to business intelligence, you also want to have some clarity, right? That's the KPIs that you're looking at, that they are well-defined. And we have a lot of different teams managing their own data. We're kind of using this data mesh type of framework where uh, everybody's responsible for their own data flowing into, into the platform. And we, we do have to oversee that to some extent from, from a central perspective to make sure that indeed across all of these different teams. And again, what happens <laughs> if we have 20x the amount of teams? Like how do we make sure that especially end users, you can, you can think of people like account managers or people in support or people in sales. They have to deal with a lot of different topics and a lot of different products. They might not be specialized in everything that's out there. So how do we make sure that we keep a user-friendly environment for everybody who's like <laughs> not a super data nerd, for example? Like it needs to be workable for, for everybody at the organization. Working with data should not be hard. 
that's the great goal, right? To democratize data, right? To, that's a swear, swear jar word probably, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I like that uh, the 20X ID. So if, if you look in, in your day-to-day -day practice, right? So on one end, you have this view of, we have to prepare for 20X, right? So you have this, this dot on the horizon, like ideally we would be able to do this, this, and this to support that 20X vision. But then on a daily basis, stuff breaks down, right? You're, you're, you know, you're just doing, doing the work basically. How do you, how do you guys at Adyen try to prioritize also moving towards that dot on the horizon versus the daily uh, struggles of just keeping people, you know, keeping everything running and having them use data? I think that varies from team to team. Like not, not every team is so operational in that sense. I think we try to manage it to some extent by, for example, having teams like mine that try to have more of like a central overview. And there are um, like, I wouldn't say there are multiple teams who are doing the same thing, but there are multiple teams within Agent that take ownership of that. And that's also, it's, it's embedded within our culture as a company that if we find things important, kind of regardless where you are coming from, you can take ownership for things so you can work with people from other teams to make sure that we, we make progress. Yes, it is, it is to some extent a balancing act, but on the other hand, we also make sure that we, we make the time for these things and people are at liberty to take the time to get involved in these things. And within Agem, we work with what we call solutions. I won't dive too deep into that. I'll uh, actually talk a little bit more about that uh, during my presentation. But a lot of the data people are sort of uh, grouped together in one solution. And we are also being guided by the solution leads who are basically thought leaders within data engineering, data science, data products, uh, data analytics. Uh, so these people also help us sort of tackle these dilemmas and make sure that we, again, take the time so that we can prepare for 20x. Also sounds like there's a lot of belief and also commitment top down in the organization on the, the value or the importance of data, which then, of course, gives you the room to make that space uh, to plan for the future. Oh, yeah. But we're also like we are a super, super bottom up organization. Like I've uh, <laughs> moving from other companies in the past, uh, it's, it's sometimes been a bit of a struggle for me that you basically tell your manager like, hey, I think I think we should do this. And your manager will just say like, OK fine, go ahead. Like if you have a good story, just really go ahead and do it. A lot of freedom. <laughs> yeah, there's enormous amounts of freedom. And that really comes all the way down from the individual contributors to then the teams basically saying like, hey, uh, I think we should be doing this. Uh, and I really heard so often of people, well, for example, within data engineering, pick on, picking up projects because they felt like this stopped working, it's not going to work in the long run. You know what, Let, let's just tackle it, get it out of the way so we can move forward. So there's really bottom up. There's already so many initiatives. When it comes to the smaller things, if one or two people can tackle it, it will get tackled. When it comes to like setting out these new guidelines for, yeah, we might have to tackle it at a bit of a higher level because we might need like multiple teams to get involved. But the motivation and the drive is really there to just make things better and uh, get ready for the future putting things like data products into production. It's almost a recruiting video for Adyen. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, you seem genuine, so it, uh, it sounds good. I, what, what's really interesting to me is most of my clients are uh, mid to, yeah, basically mid up level, but not enterprise level. There's such a switch when you go to like a team that is 
hundreds of people, hundreds plus of people. And that's uh, that's interesting to me because from a keeping it all working, like people working together is, in my opinion, usually the hardest part, like making technology work. Eventually you'll figure that out. But people working together, that's a that's a challenge. So it's it's always cool to hear when a when a company has uh, seemingly figured that out. Uh, I mean, I can imagine, especially in these cases where you are growing, you also have a lot of these discussions in terms of uh, centralization and decentralization of, of data people within your organization. So I know there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that struggle with that. And like even within Agen, we deal with these questions like we already have so many data people that we kind of had to decentralize them. But now I'm um, like I'm calling you from our office in San Francisco, where we also have a data team. But there we are only talking about tens of data people. And when I'm talking to the manager over here, we're also having discussions like, okay, what happens over here if we're also doing 20x? Like, what if we have 20, 20 times the amount of data people we have right now? Will you still centralize them or will you decentralize? Even in organizations like ours, uh, we still have to, to deal with these non-enterprise type of data issues, so to say. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to just doing what works for your organization. And that will have a lot to do with the amount of people that you have, uh, where data is like sort of put within your organization, uh, like is it more part of the commercial or is it more part of the IT or more part of development? Like really depending on that, try to figure out uh, how we can work together and how we can do a good job. And there's no one size fits all uh, when it comes to these situations. Yeah, adjust and, uh, and learn. Exactly. The upside for Agen is because it is such a flexible organization, we are not that scared to move things around completely. Like if indeed it means that you will have to move to a different team from today to tomorrow. Okay, perhaps not ideally we do that every day, but people are very willing to make that kind of switch to just make it work where in other organizations where they're like a bit more classic and it's very much like, well, this is marketing and this is finance and this blah, blah, where people might be a bit more reluctant to make these types of switches because it's, it really sort of <laughs> gives them a conflict in their identity as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like if you can, if you can let go of that, you have a lot more flexibility also in the org as an organization to put people in different spots and, uh, and use their skills. Exactly. We're having this talk because on... October 13th, you're going to give a presentation at the Digital Analytics Summit. Do you want to tease people a little bit what you're going to talk about there? Yeah, so uh, at the Digital Analytics Summit, I really just wanted to give people a taste of how we use data at Agen, just give some practical examples. Well, I think I've already given a number of them uh, in this podcast as well, and elaborate a bit more on how we have organized that, like how, how we indeed, how do we work? How do we make sure that we make it work from a people perspective and a tiny bit of a technical perspective as well, uh, just because our big data platform is so impressive. Yeah, that, that is a short summary of what I'll be uh, talking about. Nice. Good to hear. That's a good mix because I think uh, the summit will be about, there's a track about privacy. Well, we discussed that at the beginning of this podcast. Then there's a track about how to build a data team, about organization and culture. And then there's a technical track. So your talk uh, on the summit will cover those last two topics. And uh, in this podcast, we covered the covered the privacy part. So uh, Exactly. So uh, by the end of October, uh, you'll know everything uh, about uh, data at Agen. I'll see you there. And um, hopefully uh, people who are listening to this podcast uh, will come to join us there. And then uh, I want to thank you for uh, for sharing your knowledge on this podcast. Can people follow you online or do you want to promote some link? 
people can uh, reach out uh, to me through LinkedIn. Uh, I'd have to say otherwise on social media or on Twitter, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not very active, but uh, there's not a lot of uh, Melody Bar Lages in the world. Just uh, come find me on uh, LinkedIn and uh, feel free to follow or to connect. Cool. We'll share the link in the description of the podcast. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder before closing off the podcast that the DDMA is organizing the Digital Analytics Summit on the 13th of October in Amsterdam. There will be a lot of great speakers like Simo Ahava, Steen Rasmussen, Melody Barlage, and many others. If you want to join us there, you should go to digitalanalyticssummit.nl. And if you want to have a 20% discount on your tickets, you should use the discount code LIFE after GDPR to get that discount in the checkout funnel. That's it. Hope to see you there.